welcome to episode two of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David. With me today I have Richo. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Crystal. Hello. And Luke. Morning, everyone. The harshest critic in the world. It's, it must be a good morning then. We <laughs> <laughs> actually say good morning. So how is everyone? I good. said morning. Precision people. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rapture didn't happen the other week, so I'm feeling pretty good. Yes, it did. I've only had my Where second cup heaven? of coffee, that's why. Are we? No, no, we're, we're the sinners that didn't get caught up in it. <laughs> well, that explains a lot, actually. <laughs> Where have we been left behind? Before we move on to the actual podcast proper, I just want to give a shout-out to the Black Panel, uh, the lovely Black Panel crew, uh, Aaron, Karen, Pete, and Joel, uh, were very kind to mention us in their last podcast, and if you haven't checked them out, please do so. That's the blackpanel.com.au. Okay, let's move on to Popcorn Junkie. For this installment of Popcorn Junkie, we'll be reviewing X-Men First Class. Uh, it's the new installment in the X-Men franchise, uh, directed by Matthew Vaughan. The Hellfire Club versus the first group of X-Men. They're young, they're ready, to, ready for action, uh, untried, and a very kick-ass Magneto. It was a lot of fun. What did you guys think? Look, I thought the film was okay. I mean, it was just there. It wasn't anything too spectacular. There wasn't anything that leapt out at me and said, oh my god, this film must be watched over and over again because it's the greatest X-Men film ever made or anything. At the same time, it wasn't terrible. It was certainly better than I expected it to be. Uh, yeah, Magneto is actually, I think, really the selling point in this film. He has all the best moments and uh, a really good performance by... Michael Fassbender. Thank you, by Michael Fassbender. Michael, you kicked ass. He did. Um, in a cast that really wasn't all that great, uh, he actually really stood out. What do you mean the cast wasn't that great? As in the casting choices weren't great or as in the acting wasn't great? I don't think the acting was all that great. Um, I thought Kevin Bacon was very good. Yeah, but um, he's always good. And, but he is always good. And Jennifer Lawrence, I thought, did pretty well as Mystique. She did. Um, James McAvoy wasn't really convincing as Professor Xavier, though. He doesn't really come across as a potential leader of men or as a very intelligent, uh, you know, mutant genius or anything like that. He's just or Patrick of, Stewart. He certainly doesn't come across... If, I look for Charles Xavier, I, if, if I'm looking for, Char, for Charles Xavier wannabes, they've got to have that Patrick Stewart element to him. And James McAvoy, I was not convinced. See, I, see, I didn't mind his sort of his douchiness with his chat-up lines and using his powers and all that sort of stuff. I didn't mind that. I mean, he was young, that's cool. Mm. But I just, you're right, I just could not see him eventually becoming Patrick Stewart. No, mm. not Which at is, all. You know. Whereas Michael Fassbender... Um, yeah, he could become Ian McKellen. Yeah, you could see him becoming Ian McKellen. He... he <laughs> Closer match than that guy in Nemesis. <laughs> yeah, right, that is a good point. That's true, <laughs> but still, um, that doesn't mean that it's it doesn't mean that he was good. No, they just got it a bit better. Don't forget, you're sitting the bar very low there. <laughs> As for the acting ability of the rest of the cast, well, really, they didn't actually have anything to do. They were just kind of there. To what about the guy that played Beast? He was alright. Nicholas Holt. He was alright. Once again, though, not he did what he had to do. I, I can't see him eventually becoming Kelsey Grammer, though. Yeah. And the guy know. that played Havoc was just terrible. Well, I don't think he was terrible as such as he just he Did had nothing. I mean most of the most of the cast beyond, you know, Mystique, Xavier and Magneto. Um when you have that most of them part, are just there you've to gotta, you've gotta grab what you can and he didn't yeah. bother grabbing it. He was just but, like, Yeah. But he actually wasn't given much of a 
part, like no. his part actually wasn't very well written. It just well, seemed it, to be we need, a, we need another I need another mutant with an obvious physical power, yeah. um, and he was there really for the fight scenes. Don't give yourself on epic power. I mean, they changed it. And that yes, really they annoyed me. Yes, really, yes, but really a, annoyed me. But you're a huge Havoc fan, so... Unbelievable. What was but that was because... That energy was be- hula hoops. What's up with that? <laughs> that was because they yeah, wanted was, Cyclops, effectively. And they couldn't get Cyclops because they were, trying to turn, they were trying to make this the prequel for... The when he was shaking X-Men his hips films. at the start there and his power working, I'm thinking, hang on a second. Is it like pheromones or something? I don't get it. I suppose hula hoops had only been sort of uh, invented about ten years earlier, so maybe that's just how we discovered. And then later, he just becomes Iron Man. It's just oh, it's just terrible. But really, but most of the most of the those supporting characters don't really have any personality. It's like they're yeah. just there so well, that they can have a fight, scene including the bad end. ones. Yeah, yeah. January yeah, Jones seemed to have the same kind of reserved acting technique she uses in Mad Men. Is, is <laughs> that is her acting but technique. I, think, I don't think it really changed. Except that's, that's she suits Emma, so that's, that Emma Frost is I, that way anyway, so I it kind of assumed, makes sense. I just assumed she was cast because she was the only one willing to walk around in lingerie for the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> um, having said that, the production design was very good. Yeah. Um, the, the sort of the 60s pop art sensibilities, I think, particularly um, the, the reactor in Sebastian Shaw's submarine. Yeah, I thought looked awesome. Hmm. You know, the mirror, the mirror, sort of with the the, um, the strange flush. Real Enter of the Dragon style. Kind of expected <laughs> Austin Powers to appear at any second at that point. Well, certainly, certainly, um, Sebastian Shaw, Kevin Bacon had the, uh, you know, ha- had that fashion sense going. He really, yeah, he was really he... rocking out the cravat and big sideburns. It was fantastic. That made sense for his character. He was in the moment and he was enjoying what he was doing, which yeah, was cool. Was very, he was very mod, mm. and it no, was very cool. To no see. complaints about Sebastian Shaw. He was mm. good. Yeah. He was excellent. And Go Go Girl, uh, Emma Frost actually had some really cool sixties fashion happening as well when she wasn't just walking around in lingerie. Um, the 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 big the chief problem with the film is uh, script and pacing. Um, so trust the harshest critic in the world to go straight to the bad stuff. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. The good stuff we've talked about. We've already talked about some of the good stuff. The production okay. design, I agree. I'm I thought was Please. I thought was pretty good. Um, I agree with some of the performances. Not every single character got. The moment in the sun, but the three stand-up performances were made for me were Michael Fassbender, Kevin Bacon, and Jennifer Lawrence. In that, Mystique was actually given a character this time around instead of a model, just painted blue to appeal to the fanboy sensibilities. Um, but the big problem I had, as I said, was pacing and scripting. For Charles and Magneto to wander to spend a montage sequence, a, ni- a nicely done montage sequence too, I might add. You know, gathering the X-Men together. And you know, seeing the different spaces where the the um, the young mutants are, and then having them hole up in a secret military installation for a long period of the film, and then after everything goes down, decide okay, now we've got to start training these guys. Huh. That seemed yeah. to be the uh, that seemed to be to, to defeat the purpose. The whole purpose of the film is surely to get them together and start training them to create an effective strike force um, to battle Sebastian Shaw. So it seemed to me that the pacing was right off there. That the montage sequence where they train, and it's a, a, an overly long montage sequence, should have come a lot earlier. It's like the rocking training montage. <laughs> yeah, that, it was an unbelievably long montage training but see, sequence. If, to take Rocky, Rocky actually Rocky ends with a sense of empowerment, and mm. yeah, this guy's actually achieved a lot. But you didn't really get that sense. No, it's just a case of oh, well, let's ha- let's have Charles Xavier act like Yoda. The film was too long, and actually what you've said just crystallised some thoughts in my mind, no pun intended. 
instead of going to the secret military installation, they could have just gone straight to the, the mansion and started the training. They could have mm. cut that whole bit out. Right. But then you wouldn't have the awesome slaughter of all the guards by uh, the... Uh, well, they could have had CIA guards at the... At the Azazel? Yeah, kicking some Azazel, yeah. Azazel, kicking Azazel. some butt. They could have had those, that, those the demon guards at the mansion. Are they related? Who knows? Well, yes, they yes, are. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> Any comic reader knows they are related, but... Oh, I want to keep what some is... sense of mystery. <laughs> I do. You spoiled it for me. I'm sorry. But, you know, yeah, they're, they're related, you know. But the teleporting sort of demonic look thing they've from, from an outsider's point of view that hasn't read the X-Men comics, I found this movie much more accessible than the other ones because I think it's from the beginning. If you're watching this if you're watching this without having seen yeah. any of the other X-Men films or Wolverine, yeah. um, you can pretty much understand Yeah, you can understand on. what's going on. The only criticism I would have is uh, Kevin Bacon's character in the beginning. You have no idea that he is a mutant um, and sort of when that comes about, you, you don't quite understand where those, if he had those powers in the beginning, and if he didn't, where did they come from, and why does he suddenly look younger than he did before? Well, he does mention why he's, you know, he's hasn't aged because of his powers. But yeah, you're right, but at the start, there's, there's no... Ex- until he mentions that, there's no explanation. Yeah. So oh, the, only, the only thing I can think of it. is that he's, he's laughing like a lunatic when, when poor Eric goes mental, so maybe because he knows he's not going to be affected. I don't know. You know. It's, uh, yeah. But it's a good point. It's a good point. Maybe. It's not there's, very obvious. There's also a basic problem that uh, I think that they have with mutants in this, and it's actually a problem that they have in the in the comics to a certain extent as well. They keep going on about how uh, you know mutants are created because of the discovery of atomic power and um, the unleashing of atomic power, and, and the, a big part of the plot here involves hmm. uh, trying to bring the world to the hmm. brink of, of nuclear war. Except that it doesn't explain. Xavier and Mickey yeah. are, uh, are already, and, and Sebastian Shaw are already around. Shaw's Shaw an adult um, in 1944. There is, well, so that, they, that don't, they don't really kind of explain how, you know, well, given that... Xavier kind of says it's, it's evolution, and um, yeah, from a purely yeah. logical scientific point of view, that, doesn't, that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, but the, the, <laughs> film, the film itself is kind of confused. One part, some people are saying it's, you know, because they're the children of the atom, the other and the other people are saying that it's just it's evolution. And Basically, it's, they're just... They're just but there's yeah, there's just, just different. I mean, there's, well, there's an interesting thing well, you can say about that, which care. is you know, it's a it's down to ideology, but it never actually explores the ideology. It just gives us statements: "Oh, we are children of the atom." No, we are just you know the next evolutionary phase. Yeah, um, without actually doing what. Well, it's not well, it's science science uh, uh, how evolution exactly. Ra- radiation <laughs> will make us stronger. It's, it's, no, it won't. <laughs> it'll make it'll make you stronger, but all you're as, as, as we dead. know, radiation will will make them grow to thirty feet tall and force them to go rampage. Because we all know Marie Curie's a giant mutant woman who's raging the earth exactly now. Exactly right. With her husband, <laughs> <everything> with her husband <laughs> and her daughter. Um, I think the things you know. <laughs> one, one, the, my main thing that I think this movie doesn't do that um, the first X Men movie I think does very well is actually introduce you to all of the characters. Mm. Like, the first movie, through you know, Wolverine and Rogue, introduces you to the concepts, concepts of the school, but you also get a feel for each of the main members of the X-Men, who they are, what they're about, what their relationships to one another are, um, with the possible exception of Storm, but Halle Berry's uh, kind of walking her way through that. What about the, I mean, the, the sequence where they're all in the... 
the little lounge area and but we all they're doing is showing off their powers. It's yeah. like, oh, look what I can do. Here's that's my power. That's all you need to know. But yeah, but you don't get a sense of you don't get a sense of character or personality from that per se. You just yeah. get a sense of these just these are just a bunch of young people hanging out together showing off their powers. Whereas what yeah. Dave's talking about is Actual the development. Character. I understand. Of I understand what Dave's talking about, but that is all you need for this film. Yeah, all dis- you need is that they're young people. With powers, no. I, I disagree. But you, then you need to then you need no to actually de- give them uh, little subplots or storylines, or at to, least some personality to sort of say to carry who, them through. Who they are. I think when they were actually doing the recruiting of mm. the characters in the first place, the I would have it. liked. But I would have liked to have actually seen who these people were. Like it's just, oh, we walk into a room and say, oh, you've got powers, let's go. I think if they'd given us at least something. Of the personality, because by the time you get to the end of the film and they're all fighting one another, I just don't care about any of them. Well, I, you know, I, other than you know Xavier and Magneto and Mystique and Sebastian Shaw, who are the only uh, characters that are really fully developed, and to a lesser extent Beast. I, I completely disagree. The, the mm. first X Men film, I felt like I didn't know what was going on. I felt like you had to have read the stuff beforehand to know what was going on. Okay. Uh, I, I followed along with this one fine. The only criticism I would have with the character development, I would have liked to see a bit more of Xavier's past to balance mm. out Magneto's because, yeah. I mean, all you saw of him was when he was little, that one scene, and then all of a sudden he's grown up and you don't know what sort of childhood traumas he's had or anything like that and what's where he's come from to be where he is today. And we're, yeah, we're constantly given a whole lot of stuff about Magneto's tragedy, yet yeah. Charles himself sort of remains a bit... Bit more of an enigma. Bit more of an, and that's to a certain extent. That's probably intentional. Oh. So they, they in the, in they if, set, if they yeah, choose if they choose to they do you know second further, class, third yeah. class, what have you. I, I, I Still, don't think, I don't think enigma is quite the right word because enigma suggests that you're given enough for him to be, you know, to have something that you're really yeah. intrigued well, but, by. Pur- but I don't think we get that at all. Purpose, well, purpose, purpose, yeah, okay, maybe purposefully, um, purposely left undisclosed to be explored later on. The problem yeah, is. Yeah. That in this film, because you get such a, because the whole film is meant to be about Xavier and Magneto forming the X Men, yeah. you needed a bit more of Xavier. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of, in ter- yeah. just in terms of him as a character. Having said that, I still think the movie was too long. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well a couple of things for me was uh, I was I'm a big uh, Alex Summers Havoc fan, so having him changed, uh, I've mentioned it already, but goddamn, that annoyed me. Um, just some serious plot holes or just inconsistencies. Uh, the whole beast using the serum mm. to change his appearance made no sense at all when it's, he specifically says that it'll change our physical appearances but it won't change our powers mm. uh, sorry beast but your powers are your physical appearance I mean you it's get, actually you, a physical mutation yeah, you, you get rid of you get rid of your beastie feet and that's it you got no powers dude you're just a nerd with glasses I know Hello. how that feels so it just makes <laughs> no sense that I second that assumption although that I mean that being said he, when he has the serum and turns into the beast he does look pretty badass so uh, that's pretty cool I thought he just looked pretty bad too. Yeah. <laughs> no I think he looked, I think he looked awesome I think they did a much better makeup job with Kelsey Grammer on Kelsey Grammer in X-Men 3 yeah, well, that's true. I'm not saying that the makeup job wasn't really? better. But Kelsey Grammer was the beast. Yeah, mm. yeah. he's really good too. He's, yeah. like, well, he's one of the few good things in the film. I know. <laughs> to be honest, he gets very it. little screen time. It's very. It's well, it makes the most of it. Kelsey Grammer is a quality actor. Yeah, yeah. he's very good. But anyway, um, 
Also, uh, Angel slash Pixie. I mean, she was quite clearly meant to be Pixie, but they called her Angel for some strange reason. Which means we've now got two Angels, because I X-Men know. 3 has it. Makes no sense, because well. then there's another Angel. Although that, they never call him Angel in the film, they only call him Warren. So. Is, that, uh, is, is that, was she called Angel because she was on um, Savior's Side to start with, and then maybe she'll change her name later? Ooh. Well, that's a good question. Maybe they are just allowing for... Uh, X-Men second class. Yeah, and X-Men third class. I like how Luke said if before. They're clearly going to make a second class. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they'll second definitely, class. definitely make that. They're, well, they're, maybe they're they're the cinema was packed. This thing's... Yeah. What, doing yeah. reasonable it's doing, box office. It's, it's, it's doing, doing good very good. And also, I it's mean, now they've got to explain why all those characters don't exist in the other films. And there is, yeah. you know, as... Uh, a pretty cool moment, which obviously we don't want to give away, but during the the tracking down all the mutant sequences there is actually a pretty cool moment there which links to all the films but uh, there's a whole b- bunch more that they have to explain <laughs> like where are all these the brotherhood of evil mutants and all that yeah. sort of stuff and where are they I mean they just disappear and then questions like we have Alex Summers as Havoc yeah you know, who is obviously the brother of Cyclops but how does that work given that Cyclops. Maybe yeah. if they make him the father of Cyclops or something. No, no, about he actually looks like the little brother of Matt Damon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you're totally right. 62, it just makes very little sense. So yeah, it would have to be maybe father and son rather than brother. I was thinking, thinking, okay, is this meant to be Corsair and we're getting star jammers later on? It'd yeah, cool yeah. Because I mean, I mean, he's an adult. Like, he's a young... He's, he's yeah. a young adult. But I'm assuming he's meant to be around about, say, 18, 19. Yeah, he looks 18 maybe. or something. Mm. Yeah, so... Um, so even if Scott is only just born... I guess they can still be brothers and separated. But then they've also got to explain, as you say, where all of these characters, other than obviously Beast, who does show up, and we find out why he's not there. Mm. Um, Yeah, where all these characters went and what happened to them in the sort of intervening years. Can I also explain how it is that Emma Frost is meant is is a woman in her early to mid thirties in this, and an X Men Wolverine, X Men Origins Wolverine, which is. Most of it, mostly is set in the late seventies to early to mid eighties. How Emma Frost is in fact, you know, fifteen years old. I have a feeling that January Jones is younger than that. Apologies to <laughs> oh, probably, this is, I'm talking about the way that you know she she's looks. Well, she, let, let's say at the very at, at the very least in 1962 she's presented as being. A in woman, twenties, mature least. woman. Yeah, so she de-ages then by about. That's 20 pretty years. cool. Like they, they can do a Mojo story. <laughs> they can do a Mojo story and de-age her and have the X babies. So really, what we're saying is that we're, this is all the stuff that we want to see in an X Men film, instead of having to go and have seen X Men First Class. X-Babies is that what we're saying? <laughs> oh, and also just a shout out to uh, Australia's own Rose Byrne. Hi, Excellent Rose. job. Who yeah. was very good, but why have why call her Maureen, Maureen McTaggart? Yeah, that's why, true. Why not just why not just invent a character for her? She was good. My favorite bit was when she said, "Oh, now we have to track down a person who's a master of genetics or something." And I was like, "Well, that was yeah, you, an expert, <laughs> yeah, an expert in genetics." Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what are you talking about? That's who you are, but no, apparently not. In this universe, you are not. I, I do give them credit as well for one other thing: tying everything in or have, setting everything in the nineteen sixties was an interesting idea, oh. but actually tying it into the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. I thought it was actually real, actually, actually quite, quite well done. Yeah, um, nice splicing in of the Jack Kennedy footage. Yeah, mm. exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, so to finish Jack up, uh, my favourite uh, was clearly Magneto. I mean, it was basically just Magneto Origins, mm. and yeah. uh, it was, he was awesome. <laughs> Magneto just kicks a lot of ass. Although, can you, 
What's his name? Keep your. Um, oh, yeah, he's got to learn how to keep an accent. Keep your accent. Michael Fassbender, yes, his, yeah. his, uh, his descent into his Irish broke towards that's the right. end. That's fine. But uh, it, was, it was a slight Irish broke. It wasn't, you know. It wasn't It wasn't, wasn't, overly, uh, wasn't over the top. So uh, let's go for the ratings. I give it four out of five loops. Wow. I give it two and a half out of five loops. Christmas? Uh, two and a half loops. I give it two loops. Wow. <laughs> Obviously, have lower standards than everybody else here. <laughs> I personally, though, am looking forward to X-Men First Class 2, which hopefully will be set in the 70s and give us lots of flares and afros. That's right. Sweet Christmas. <laughs> okay, so that was X-Men First Class and uh, Popcorn Junkie. so let's move on to Dust Jacket. Okay, so this instalment of Dust Jacket will be reviewing Rendezvous with Rama, uh, a classic from Arthur C. Clarke and a personal favourite of mine, so go gentle. Oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you should know that by now. Okay, when you've you got the world's harshest critic in the if room. If you want gentle, you don't assemble the other three. <laughs> Nerd Culture Podcast, assemble! Form of an Australian podcast. Okay, kick us off, Richard. So, Rendezvous with Rama. This is uh, considered Arthur C. Clarke's genuine classic. It's uh, written in 1972. Um, older than all of us. It is indeed older than all of us sitting here at this table right now. That's awesome. <laughs> only in spirit. <laughs> yes, it's also the only novel to have won pretty much all of the major science fiction awards. Um Arthur C. Clarke was absolutely top of his game at this point in his career, and everybody loved him. Uh, an object is discovered flying into uh, our galaxy, passing Jupiter, and... Uh, at first they think it's an asteroid or something? At first they think it's an asteroid, um, or, you know, just a They a call it Bruce Willis? <laughs> Thankfully they don't call it Bruce Willis. Golly, I don't yeah. think I could have put up with that many, uh, <laughs> many... God bless America speeches. Um, but yes, the oh, object that is uh, sucks. the object is hurtling towards the sun, um, and they begin after a quick study. They discover that it is actually a man-made object, and that this is in fact the first contact situation, the first time that humanity has discovered an alien life form. So naturally, they assemble a Aliens. crack team of uh, astronauts. See, I told you they call Bruce Willis. <laughs> no, no, no. They actually got intelligent people for this one. And a stream. Commander Norton. I'd like to refer something to you too. He said astronaut, not drill. Oil, yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. They actually assemble astronauts, physicists, yeah, basically scientists to actually go and study this object, which um, they designate Rama. Hence the Rendezvous with Rama title. I like the explanation for why they call it Rama. It's because they've, it's, they've, they've run out of all the Greek and Roman gods. So, uh, yeah, so now they've moved on to the, the Hindu, the Hindu ones. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so this team goes. They Although Rama, not technically a god, is he? No, he's the he's, he's, he's the he's avatar the, of... Um, yeah, the incarnation of uh, Vishnu. Hmm. Anyway, well, let's face facts. On. <laughs> let's face facts. Rendezvous with Rama is just a cool title, and that's why he went with that. <laughs> Rendezvous with Ganesh doesn't really quite have the best ring. Rendezvous with Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) All right, people. That'd be awesome. Let's move it on. They should do a sequel, Rendezvous with with Buddha. They're actually... There There are two sequels. Yeah. And they're boring. Don't read them. Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so then uh, the book then proceeds to basically spend all of its time exploring Rama. 
and trying to unlock the mysteries that uh, are hidden within this wonderful and quite fascinating um, man-made... It's not man-made. It's not man-made? It's alien-made. He has a point there. Okay, this man-made struck alien-made object. Not (laughs) natural. Artificial Artificial construct. um, Which contains, uh, you know, cities and... Uh, rivers and uh, basically an entire environment and atmosphere an and entire something. ecosystem yeah um biosphere yeah not, we're just going mega nerdy not quite a biosphere no it's not a sphere yeah. is it well actually that's that's an interesting thing what is Rama exactly Absolutely. there is no real um definitive answer given in the book that's right they actually run out of time before they can yeah. find out exactly what it is yeah um although the sequels tell you what it is don't read them they suck <laughs> Which so is just, like, just to clarify you know what not to read before you read this one <laughs> yeah. well we'll get to the sequels in a moment because I'm actually thinking I need to read them um, I'm, I'm in two minds about Rama um, at, in, and in one respect it is a wonderful study of just the sheer awe um, and excitement and amazement of of um, you know, space travel and of studying the universe of unlocking the mysteries of the universe. And it, it's not surprising the book's written only, you know, three years after the moon landing. So that sense of, that sense of wonder and that, you know, that, that space travel is going to be something amazing and is going to lead us into, you know, the new, into the future is, is very much prevalent in this book and obviously written well before, say, the Challenger disaster, which kind of created a much more pessimistic approach to uh, space travel um but in another respect it's a little bit unsatisfying for me as a book because there is no real understanding that you you gain about rama by the end of the novel but isn't that what makes it makes it interesting is that you don't i mean it's it's just one more thing that humans don't understand and probably never will and it's it's just it's basically a statement for human arrogance saying that, you know, we, we get something, we find something, we need to understand it immediately or and then Well we have know. the we have the um the ability to understand it immediately because we're you know, we're yeah, super cause, geniuses. Because we're so good. And it's just I mean at the end of the novel you're right, they they still uh, they, they actually have to leave it before it slingshots around the sun and then they never actually find out what exactly is the purpose of it. And actually I, that's what I find interesting about yeah. it. Is that you even, don't know what it's for. But even even with that there's a sort of sense of Going on the whole the whole idea that we are we are sort of arrogant in our in our intelligence and mm. the construct itself sort of leaves the humans with a sense that we're actually not we're we're actually small in the scheme of things. But that's that's spoiling it all. That's spoiling the ending. Um, you know, there is a, there's a, there's a certain sense that you know we are actually just dust motes. It's kind of frustrating though, and Arthur C. Clarke constantly does that to me. I always end up disappointed at the end of his books. I haven't read one yet where I've gone, yeah. <laughs> ending and ended well. well Unlike first class, which had a cool ending. Magneto kicking ass. <laughs> well, can, can that that's, that's, that's the problem. That's the problem with Arthur C. Clarke. Not enough Magneto. That's right. <laughs> well, consider consider the comparison with um, say two thousand and one, another Clarke novel written, obviously three year, uh, four years earlier than this. As boring. He gives you. He gives you. He doesn't really tell you what the monolith is in that. But there is enough there for you to really start to develop your own ideas about what it is and what yeah. the greater meaning of the book is. In Rama, it's kind of like, we go to space, we find this thing, we have a look around, 
but we really discover nothing about it. And whilst that is, in some respects, interesting... Um, I disagree. It is also a little they bit... They find out plenty of stuff. I mean, it's, it's clearly a contained f- ecosystem. They find out enough for it to be really frustrating at the end. It's, just, <sighs> it's really, really Come interesting on. and intriguing. And it does like everything it needs to it's do. It's like a mystery, think, and at the end of a yeah. mystery, you want it solved. No. I think perhaps... No. Perhaps Why does it want to make life to be solved? Because that's just the way it works. Life is mystery. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's not life. And, and I book. accept... Uh, I accept that, Touché. Uh, and, and I accept the life is mystery um, aspect of what, what we're presented here. I just wish we'd gotten a little bit more information about Rama so that we can at least start to develop a really good idea of what Rama is. So, yeah, really, give, give us enough clues. I just told you what Rama is. Give us a clue as to what its purpose. Yeah. Is it a give us enough clues. What is yeah. it? Is it colonised? Is it left off seeds to... Yeah. Just, yeah, just, just give us enough clues for us to begin to develop our own. I think ideas it's pure coincidence that's going past Earth. It's really contradictory. No, the Romans don't even realise that the Earth is populated. Mm. It's all it's using is soul in order to slingshot. Yes, and, it, I mean, that's part, and, that, and that's part of it. I mean, the closer it gets to soul, well, that's what it I mean. It starts, it's, it's, it starts to come to life. I, it, that's mm. what I mean. It, it's it has, it's not a coincidence mm. it's gone through our solar system. No. It's a coincidence that we ha- it hasn't happens to be populated. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So it's yeah. that's not that's, it's. But the Romans, the, Roman, the Romans have looked at obviously looked at star charts and gone, well, this is yeah. the course of Rama. And ah, but have they? Maybe it is coincidence that it just happens to fly past our sun. No, I, I think mean, it's clearly intentional. I mean, it uses. I mean, as, I, as say, I, don't think, I don't think anything in this book could be described as clearly. It's, no, it's clearly. I mean, as all Star Trek fans will know, if you slingshot around the sun, <laughs> you pick up enough energy and off you go into a wormhole, whatever the case may be. Bastion of hard go science. And, I know. So, and that's the ah, same. But then there's also, but then there's also um, through the story involving Mercury, there's also the concept that's presented that perhaps Rama is looking for a sun to stop by and actually settle in because the, there's a whole uh, subplot here involving Mercury concern that Rama's going to take over their space. Yeah, but that's just so Mercury. That's human Mer- concern. Mercury's paranoia. It's, it's clear that Rama's never going to stop. Mm. It's actually, it actually speeds it, up as it goes. Then why does it actually come to life? I mean, it'll have to go back dormant again once it goes away from the sun. Maybe that's part of the cycle. Does it pick up information about the solar system while it comes to life? What's going on there? Who knows? I mean, it could be possibly reading, but they never... I mean, do they ever actually mention that? I think they don't actually get any radio waves from it, as far as I'm aware. But yeah, but that's how, they don't know how... No, they receive, they receive nothing really mm. from so it at all. That's why they initially think it's an asteroid, because they don't yeah. actually receive anything from yeah. it. Yeah. It's not until closer, until it starts to pin. Well, they realize that it's actually and you metal. look at the, the amount of revolutions it's making, it's far too many for a natural object. It's, it's clearly, clearly a spinning... It's to have life. Yeah. And then that's what life... I mean, once it gets closer to the sun, it thaws, it comes to life, the creatures appear... It creates an interesting world, not just in terms, not just Rama itself, but you know, sort of the wider um, human world as well. You know, you get um, things like space. You know, the monkeys that have been evolved to a point where they can do preliminary function, you know, basic preliminary functions on the ship itself, and they're allowed to wander around certain mm. parts of the ship. I thought was yeah. kind of interesting. I wanted to know a bit more. Um, also, the whole um, the the concept of relationships and marriages oh, I, just, and I, just, I just want to cut you out there just, that reminds me of one of my favourite bits actually is uh, the concept of relationships and space travel and stuff and how there's like there's a whole paragraph on how he doesn't like well endowed female 
uh, astronaut because they're, they're uh, distracting when they go through the tubes <laughs> yes. in anti-crab. And I was like, it's just, it's just out of nowhere. It just comes <laughs> just, the wonder, the wonder of Rama, and then mm, big boobies. <laughs> and then it goes back to the wonder of Rama again. It's, it's a very Futurama which, 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 is, which, which is the greater mystery of life, Rama. Or boobies. <laughs> she knows we like. That's, I don't know, um, Arthur. I don't know what you're on. <laughs> What's going on there? Um, but yeah, the and you know Norton having you know one wife on one planet and another wife on another planet and having to you know make yeah. uh, similar well, recording to cut to two because you can't be bothered. Yeah. You know, Krentu although, although no it's mention of the of the women having multiple husbands. I know, there, there is. is. There is yeah. because two of the crew members um, yeah. have at least had uh, well, having current relationship yeah. with the same woman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and also, and also, Norton because there's no, he doesn't sense any any sense of antagonism yeah. between the one two. of them's actually had multiple children with multiple fathers, mm. and she's outlived them all. Mm. Mm. They're all harlots. Mm. And uh, one, one <laughs> of one of the crew members, <laughs> and one of the crew members does actually have two husbands mm. as well. So, yeah. so um, polygamy polygamy is presented as commonplace, um, but, it's not, but also, it's not just polygamy. It's 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 your spreading yourself out right yeah. across the galaxy. You know, you got one spreading the human genome. Yeah, well, that's what it is. Well, it is 1972, so whilst the summer of love is over, the ideas are still present. In, uh, Arthur's still Arthur's holding on to it. Um, so I, 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 I appreciated, I liked that. Um, uh, the small, the sly sense of humour that he has creeping in, in certain places, particularly, you know, saying that the one of all the mysteries of the universe, the one thing that the human race will never actually solve is why old men have to run. You know, the comedies that they run, and, yes. build, and they've got that. I thought it was humorous. Um, I. Really, well, I I got bored. Yeah, I thought, so did I. Which point did you get bored? At? Um, they well, uh, pretty much after the setup. Because for me, mm-hmm. I like strong characters. I like a lot of drama, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there was no drama, no drama, well, except for like when the lake dust is. That's the problem. Oh, that's a, a little bit. Drama has no drama. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit of there's a little bit of um, I guess small amount of drama with the dragonfly. Flight and that's the and that's the bit where I started to pay a lot more attention because Jimmy Pack is is put in a little bit of danger. Yeah, and that's where we actually have the cool discovery, ah, which is the yeah. the bias running around. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Well, I, I, I went the other way because I, I, I didn't mind the lack of drama. I found that because the the science was so realistic. And I'm not a scientist, but it seemed realistic to me, and, and that part of it actually kept me interesting because of the possibilities, what's happening, what's going on there. Um, I, I know I was talking to someone else recently, hi Aaron, um, saying that kind of detracted from it. But no, I think that's what makes real hard science fiction interesting, that the science is realistic. But then I started to get bored when um, the Jimmy Pack thing, because I, I found the dragonfly totally unrealistic. Interesting. <laughs> that was just a weird way to get well, around that way problem. Did you find it unre- uh, the, the problem itself or the actual sequence? Because I the whilst I, what, yeah, you lost your right. This, the, the sequence was okay. The prob- I found the way they solved the problem weird. I mean, why would he even smuggle that on board in the yeah. first place? Yeah. That was that was that was the yeah. It, it is kind of a bit of a. Oh, I just happen to have this over here. And that's, and that's sort of another problem that I have with it, which is that it's a little bit convenient. A lot, of the, a lot, of, a lot of the plotting. It's got, yeah. like, I can understand. He doesn't want to have, you know, the typical, you know, space battles and, you know, laser guns and things yeah, like which that. which I don't mind. You um, which is, which is fine. And he was trying to create um, plot points and plot problems based on the reality of the world yeah. they were exploring. Yeah. At the same time, I found a lot of the. It seemed like oh, we've got to have you know like the storm, 
yeah. because we need you know something to happen. Yeah. As opposed, I mean, yeah. he tries to set it up. He try, you know, the them them feeling, you know, the slight airbrushes of wind. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, the storm happens, it passes, and they just get on with the well, rest of it. There's so. a little lack of drama there too, because the characters aren't all that well developed. No, and that's that's a really, I think, a, a, a flaw with the book. The hard yeah. science is brilliant. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And yeah. Rama but you can itself, have hard science and good characters. Yeah, exactly. Rama itself, the hard science involved in that is really the the selling point of the book. Mm. But. The, the characters aren't developed enough for yeah. me to actually care about what's going on with them. Mm. And then because they're not placed in these dramatic uh, situations, mm. because because there is no drama really there, mm. then I, all I'm interested in them is them giving me the information about what Rama is. Mm. Yeah. Which is where my then disappointment in the book comes towards the end because I don't then get enough information about what Rama is mm. for me to really start to MTV develop. generation. No, 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 it's not. Not no, at no. all. Not at all. <laughs> Actually, we're not, we're not the MTV generation at all. No, it's just yes, the desire are. for... I'm not. We're not before no. that. Mm. You may be. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a young and you're it's definitely the MTV generation, but remember, we're all old. We're <laughs> countdown. <laughs> yeah, we're countdown. <laughs> Do yourself a favour, pick up Rendezvous with Rover. <laughs> with a bullet. <laughs> but... Um, Oh god! Now I've lost my. Now I've lost what I was trying <laughs> um, to say. I think. But oh. yeah, the um, yeah. So hard science, yeah, definitely a selling point. Mm. That's the, the definition of, of speculation. What about Commander Norton? Though he's very well developed. No, he's but not. He's only, he doesn't he's do only... anything. He doesn't. He doesn't develop. We learn he's that he's only... got two wives. He's in charge of the endeavor, and he's got a fascination with Captain Cook. He's from he doesn't Australia. actually do anything, Commander yeah. Norton. He's from Australia. Really, really, what he does. What, he sounds cool. What Commander Norton does is um, give us that sense of awe and wonder of exploration, mm. but without any deeper character nuances or anything it's like all the characters are there to go wow isn't discovery fantastic yeah and, that, and that's pretty much all of their personalities are developed along the lines of we're out here discovering something and let's tell you about all the cool things we're discovering fair enough well we'll finish up there with uh, me saying that i still love it oh and, I, loved uh, it. I loved it too at just the end i, I agree I, I agree and disagree uh, but uh, i just the, I, the, the the actual the whole discovery of it and just just the coolness and uh Actually, I found it. Actually, found it more annoying when the drama mm. occurred. I was more interested in actually discovering all this stuff. Yeah, it's also because the drama is so badly handled. That's that, the point. That, yeah. that it's the hard science yeah. stuff the, that uh, you yeah, really the, want the to. We, are, we should also point. We are actually looking at this book. What a good, almost thirty years past um, from when it was written. Uh, Thirty-eight years. Thirty-eight years. Sorry. So yeah, almost forty years. Um, to which at that t- at to which at that time there was probably nothing like this, so people were. Mm. Whereas since then we've had numerous attempts at doing hard science yeah. um, with drama or wonder with, with drama. So we're looking at it from that context. Also with the ending and what Rama actually is actually doing, mm. that's also probably lost a little bit because that has been emulated quite a number of times, quite badly, particularly in a recent episode of Stargate. In, sorry, in season one, Stargate Universe. Oh, yeah. Which was kind of boring. And I only br- bring that up because that's probably the most recent thing that I can think of. Yeah, so point. that, um, yeah, Rama See, like that's, Rama that, that's the thing, the Universe actually goes the complete opposite way. Stargate Universe actually puts too much drama and doesn't tell you enough about... No, I'd, say, I'd, no I'd say that it does the exact same thing, which is there is no drama in Stargate oh, Universe. Oh, every episode there's something Star- no, Star- okay. no drama in Stargate <laughs> Universe, and it's not very interesting. There's a difference between drama and melodrama. Oh, that's, that's very true. Very good point. Well, I have to agree, Stargate Universe is not all that interesting, and I'm a big Stargate fan, but then again, I don't like Atlantis either. Okay, we're, 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 we're starting to drift into Stargate conversation, which is not what this is about. So, my fault, my uh, fault. Moving on to the ratings. 
I'm a huge fan, as you all know, so I give it four out of five loops. I'll give it three loops, I think. I'll give it three and a half. 2.5 loops. There are better books of this type. And we will be getting to those in future installments of Dust Jacket. <laughs> we will indeed. So uh, be sure tuned. to check out the website. That's www.nerdculturepodcast.com for the Dust Jacket reviews by Jan Richo. Comment on uh, anything that you want. Uh, feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com and uh, help us rate these things. Don't let uh, sci-fi lists have all the fun. Nerd Culture right. Podcast can do it. Where is, the, where is one of you with Ram on the list, Dave? Rendezvous with Rama comes in at number 14 on the list. That's on sci-fi lists. That's on sci-fi lists. Yep. But come to the website, give us your votes for Rendezvous with Rama and all the other books that we're reviewing and help us put together our own list of what we think the greatest science fiction books are of all time because we are the important people here. And so are you. Awesome. A first for Nerd Cultural Podcast, we're actually going to have a competition with this uh, instalment of Dust Jacket. You can win your very own copy of Rendezvous with Rama. All you need to do is send in an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com with the answer to this question. There are three city-like structures that they find within Rama. One is on an island in the middle of the ocean. Circular sea. What do they name that city structure? So send the answers to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. Thank you, Richard. Okay, let's move on to From the Racks. For this installment of From the Racks, we're just going to have one single comic. Uh, It's an important comic. We're going to go with Luke and his review of Flashpoint number one from DC Comics. Flashpoint issue one is written by Jeff Johns and drawn by Andy Kubert. It's DC's big um, event comic um, for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of an extension of what uh, Jeff Johns has been doing in Flash, in that effectively what happened has happened is that Barry Allen has fallen asleep, woken up, and the world has completely changed. And he's the only one who remembers. As in, like Bobby coming back to life in Dallas style. <laughs> As in, the world has completely gone over. Um, there, from the looks of it, there is no Superman, or Superman is something that we haven't seen yet. Um, he himself has no flash, but no flash ability. He can't run very fast. Can't access the speed force. Can't access the speed force. Uh, his mother, Nora Allen, is still alive in Flash. She's been de- um, developed as being, you know, dead, and that's been part of his raison d'être, I guess you could say. Um, and sort of the interesting thing about Flashpoint is the changes in the world. Aquaman and Wonder Woman are not the noble, heroic ideal. They are, in fact, at war, and that war is having a devastating effect on the, on both humanity and the world itself, to the point where Cyborg feels that the superhuman community needs, as in Cyborg, as in Big Stone, needs to rally the superhuman community together in order to stop um, the Amazons and the Atlanteans. Interesting. Barry Allen himself is is wandering, wandering around, wondering what's happened to him, why he has no ability, and how he needs... To, what does he need to do to get back to you know, his own world? And so why is this story so important? Uh, at the moment, from, based on issue one, 
Not very much. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love the uh, universe altering events. I mean, yeah. I like those sort of stuff. I mean, altering universes. I'm a big fan of the What If series. You know, yeah. What If This Happened and all that sort yeah. of stuff. The things like but, Age uh, of Apocalypse. Yeah, and, that's yeah. What I mean, all that sort of stuff. But uh, this seems quite uh, underwhelming. Yes, it is. I think the strong part of it is Andy Kubert's artwork. I think he does a fabulous job of reimagining um, the characters. His storytelling is pretty good. Um, the world he makes the he makes the world look different, so it just, it just doesn't look like the, the DCU with a few minor cosmetic changes. It actually looks like another world. Um, it's really the story. Issue one is a lot of standing around on top of a building as Cyborg tries to rally the troops and a bit of an argument as to who will join, who won't. For issue one, you know, you need your pulse pounding. Let's get into it. Let's get let's get the ball rolling. And if Flash is the main character. If Barry's the main character, then a lot more time spent with Barry would have been nice. Yeah, it's basically Mm. just cyborg issue Mm. one. Yeah, there's no uh, point. Mm. There's no you know Superman Earth two Superman punching his way into reality kind of Mm. awe and shock moment that you get from some of their earlier. Yeah, no, he just wakes up and it's different. It's like, come on, could he not have been an accident on the cosmic treadmill Mm. or something? It's there's a. Cosmic I'm not as confused. It's true, the cosmic treadmill. I'm not as confused by that because I've been reading Flash up until this, and whilst it's never actually stated, whilst it's never actually stated, there is a hint that Zoom is behind this. That Zoom has caused a change in the world. Um, that means that Barry Allen now is waking up in an alternate reality. Um, the the other big problem with this is the so-called shock ending of issue one. Yeah, it really wasn't that big um, a deal for me. It was just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Which is a Batman fan, I kind of go, cool, Batman, but at the same time, yeah, it's not actually that all that interesting revelation, particularly if you're reading Batman currently. My biggest problem with Flashpoint so far, and it's actually, I think, a problem that's indicative of most of the major crossovers coming from the big two in the last few years, is I'm not getting a full sense of a complete story in and of itself here. What I'm getting is just snapshots of things, almost like it's just designed for me to go out and buy all of the satellite titles mm. in order to get the full picture. Yeah, so I mean, I'd, I'd like Flashpoint to be an actual contained story in and of itself that gives me everything that I need to know for the main story. Mm. And if I want to read the satellite books, then I can. But instead, I feel like I'm just getting snippets of a story and that I've got to go and buy... Yeah, that's the way DC works, though. Well, it's the way DC and Marvel have worked with their event Mm. titles in recent years, but look at something like, um, all right, the the absolute classic event book, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm. I can read those 12 issues of that story without reading a single other, a single other issue that has, is a crisis tie-in, and I will get the full story. story. But therefore you don't go out and buy other DC comics, isn't that the point? And unfortunately that is the point, yeah, Yeah. and I wish it wasn't though, because the story should stand on its own merits in and of itself. I shouldn't have to read 12 titles in order to get... You definitely shouldn't have to, but they should at least make the satellite titles interesting. I mean... Well, having read some of these satellite books, I'm actually finding that there seems to be more story in Mm. the satellite books than there is in Flashpoint itself. We've had two issues of Flashpoint now. So issue one, you sort of go, okay, it's sort of maybe set up, you know, you're getting into it, and all the really cool stuff happens in Flashpoint 2. But Flashpoint issue 2 is really just an extension of Flashpoint issue 1, which is more conversation between Batman and Barry Allen. It's it's a lot of people talking about the fact that this is an alternate reality Mm. without actually giving us anything exciting about this reality or giving us, uh, you know, 
any sense of drama or, or tension as such. Mm. It's just let's have a conversation, a two-issue conversation about the fact that we're an alternate world. You get more, you get a little bit more of Aquaman and Wonder Woman in, in the second issue, but you don't get a sense of the conflict that's going on between yeah. them. Well, um, once again, that seems to be carried out in uh, the satellite books, which means. Mm. Why am I reading Flashpoint when I could just be reading, you know, World of Flashpoint or Secret Seven and and, and getting more of a story? World of Flashpoint's got no story, but more happens in one there's issue than in two more, issues of well, Flashpoint. That's true. Yeah, that's there's true. actually something going on in World of Flashpoint at least. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's more than okay, just I'll take that power phrase. It's a crap story. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, why? That. Why is the countdown twelve hours? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, we just make it two minutes, just be done with it. But see, it's got a nice concept. I like the idea of that in in World of Flashpoint that Doctor Thirteen has got an enclave with Red Star and and a very young Raz Al Ghul and yeah. um, the name of the guy who um, runs Osiris. Checkmate. Oh, there that is. Osiris. Osiris is there, and uh, Captain Nazi or whatever his name is. Yes, <laughs> but once again, that's that's telling me more about the world of Flashpoint and what's yeah. going on in Flashpoint than Flashpoint itself yeah. does. Well, I have to say at this point you're actually all failing in your mission to convince me to read this comic. There's no, there's there's no, no reason to read it. Yeah, in fact, no, if I was going to recommend a, a comic of, of this type, I'd recommend I'd recommend Trinity by Kurt Busiek yeah. and oh, Mark no, Basley. I just disagree. Oh. This, the part of this segment was to convince me to read comics. Yeah, we want yeah, you to read comics, we want you to avoid the crap ones. <laughs> so it's our, it's our mission to tell you what comics you should be reading. I mean, you should be reading B, you should be reading League, you should be reading dun, dun. Dark Knight, all that sort of stuff. Watchmen. You shouldn't be reading this crap. You've <laughs> <laughs> got better things to do with your turn. And it's like, I think well, they've got Trinity does a better job of doing what Flashpoint does, which is you know setting up an alternate world where everything's things have changed. Mm. Um, but it tells a better story. You get a little, lot more sense of character. A lot more happens. It's Flashpoint, just in a nutshell, Luke. Yeah, not good. Not good. Ratings out of Luke. Um, I give this one Luke really for Andy Cupid's artwork. I think Jeff Johns has written far better in the past, and he's written far better event comics in the past that have been exciting and interesting, and I've wanted to know more. I give it one Luke as well, just because I like alternate universe stories, mm. but nah. I'm going to give it two Lukes just to be different. Mm. I mean, there's still three issues to go. Um, Blasphema! There's still three <laughs> issues to go. They may actually be able to... Uh, they may actually be able to, to pull something out of the fire here and actually give us a really good story by the end of it. I, my, hopes be... aren't, my hopes aren't high on that just yet, but you never know. Anything's possible and... I'm not going to really condemn it until I see the the final story. So what you're saying is it's not bad enough that it hasn't stopped you reading it? No, not yet. <laughs> Crystal, what do you think? Crystal, have we convinced you to read <laughs> Flashpoint? No, I'm sorry, guys. Have we convinced you to read comics in general? If we can't, if we can't bring ourselves to read Flashpoint... <laughs> but it being a very important uh, part of the DCU at the moment, uh, it leads up to our War Room, which the topic will be... Comic reboots and retcons. Nice segue. This edition of War Room will be about comic reboots and retcons, specifically the uh, pretty amazing things that are happening at the DC Universe. That's right, uh, DC have decided to reboot their entire universe, starting off with a bunch of brand new number ones, 52 of them in fact, which is a relevant number for any fan of the DC Universe. Uh, Starting in bringing some lesser-known characters to the forefront, uh, Mr. Terrific, Cyborg, brand-new Justice League, and uh, just some pretty major changes overall. 
Uh, Richard, you're a very big fan of the DC Universe and uh, Luke as well. Yep. What do you make of this quite radical decision? First of all, they do this with sort of all their reinventions. We mean, uh, sorry, I'm referring to you know, giving lesser characters um, a bit of a spotlight. Mm-hmm. They tend to do that um, after each um, event just to sort of test the waters a little bit. Fans reacted positively to them during the big story, give them their own attention to see if you know a book sells. Booster Gold being the most obvious example. Well, that was yeah, that was the big success coming out of Fifty Two and Infinite Crisis. Yeah, um, but I mean after after Infinite Crisis, we saw Blue Beetle get his own title. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw Firestorms had a bit of a resurgence. Firestorms yeah, had a bit of we a... saw uh, Batwoman take over Detective Comics after mm-hmm. Fifty Two. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, it's a good idea. You know, you're, you're creating your big event story. Why not uh, highlight some lesser characters and see if you can uh, create something major from them? Um, so the reboot itself, though, so they've changed continuity. I mean, so it's not the. So it's not as if the older comics are now useless. It's just they've just rebooted the universe and all coming out of the Flashpoint sort of thing. And some pretty major changes. So a younger Superman. Um, well, Superman shouldn't really age. Different costumes. Mm. Yeah, but now he's de-aged. So. Yeah. Super babies. babies. <laughs> Super babies. DC babies. The, the difficulty, I think, here at the moment <laughs> is working out... You're crazy. A lot of what we're getting at the moment is rumour. Mm. Um, and a lot of it is conjecture, even. So Yeah, but there have also been a lot of confirmed. To... Yeah, we've had, the ten, true. we've had ten titles confirmed so far. They're all up on the site. www.nerdculturepodcast.com Um... Yeah, ten titles. Mr. Terrific, New Justice League, uh, DC Presents with uh, Dead, starting off with Dead Man. Uh, the new, new Wonder Woman title. New Wonder Woman, new Aquaman. Uh, Captain Atom. Captain Atom. Uh, uh, Firestorm. Firestorm. Yeah, so. I think it's pretty amazing yeah. stuff. I know, Richard, you've got some interesting points. So. Yeah, well, my first, the first thing is, and when DC does these reboots, and this is the, what, the fourth one, if you include Crisis, Zero Hour, and Infinite Crisis, mm. um, the important thing, I, I think, is what happens after the reboot. What What's in continuity, what isn't? Um, because DC have already come out and said that they're not doing a full reboot. Like, we're not starting from scratch. Um, so certain things will still be part of continuity. And I know Jeff Johns has stated that... Um, All the Green Lantern stuff? Yeah, that Blackest Night still happened and so on. So really, the first thing I would love to see DC do is actually come out and say... Okay, here's what's in and here's what isn't. Mm. We, basically need, we basically need that cool thing, uh, I can't remember which reboot it was from, but basically where, who was it, like Harbinger or something, just basically yeah, explained the what the changes post, were. Yeah. I know yeah, it it recently it was the Donna Troy one, which I just don't think was all that interesting, but the Crisis yeah. one, was it? Yeah, after Crisis on Infinite Earth, DC released a book called The History of the DC yeah, Universe. Yeah, History of the DC Universe, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that, cool. that really helped, it yeah. really helped. Unfortunately, DC then didn't necessarily pay attention to everything. No, in but there. still, so, it was awesome. But what I would love to see would be a one-shot or a, um, maybe even in, in an annual for each of the books that they've got to basically say, here's a history of that character. Yeah. Mm. Here's, 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 and just not everything, but just the key points you need to know, you know. So, you know, Batman, parents killed... You know, how many Robins are there? When did the Robins come in? You know, when did he first meet the Joker? When did he when did he join the Justice League? Did he quit the Justice League to join the Outsiders? Does that still exist in continuity? Mm. You know, just just give us the Which basics. Which Batman's actually in the Justice League. Yeah. There's no, no confirmation that it is actually Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I mean, it but could just, in fact be Dick. Yeah. It could even be um, yeah. Robin. Yeah. 
Well, big the problem, whatever his nickname is nowadays. Tim Drake. I Tim. Think the, the big problem that DC has had with their past um, reboots is that they haven't come out and really let you know what stands and what doesn't. So there's a lot of confusion that occurs mm. um, whenever they do a reboot. So I'm really hoping that this time around that that won't happen. Mm-hmm. That they will actually let us know what's in, so that as readers we can come into it fresh, knowing what we need to know um, about the characters and their history. Well, it's 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 mainly under control of Jeff Johns and Jim Lee. Uh, Jim Lee has actually come out and said that uh, he won't beep this up, <laughs> which is uh, an interesting comment to make. Um, and Jeff Johns, I mean, you can say what you say what you want about his pacing, but at least he's not confusing. So. At least yeah, it, I think I think it'll with him in control. At least it'll be you'll be able to understand it, whether you agree with all the decisions or not. And, you know, but it'll all it'll all make sense in, in my opinion. And uh, I'm nothing but excited. Oh, was all this reboot talk? What do they ever actually come out with a completely new concept, or do they just keep rebooting the old stuff? They keep rebooting the old stuff, and that's yeah. sort of one of the things that I would sort of wanted to bring up, which is should we actually be retiring these? Um, the characters and start creating new ones is it actually a good idea to keep reinventing the same characters over and over again or should we actually be coming up with well you don't have to have either or you can have that but mm. bring out some new stuff as well mm. yeah. well they do well, they, they have do. given they have new given, stuff yeah they have given characters um, well at least one in the in the form of Mr. Terrific mm. he's a relatively new character I mean he was created in the late 90s um and he's never had his own solo title. He's in the same universe, so why not create a whole new, completely new story? Mm. That actually does happen mm. quite a bit in comics, is that they will often create these separate universes um, and populate them with characters, new characters and things. The, the problem is, unfortunately, is that these universes very rarely do they sell. That's the, at the end of the day, from a business perspective. It's I mean, although they do have Vertigo. Which is non-superhero stuff. Well, at yeah. least it was. I don't know what's happening after the reboot. But, I mean, it's, it's where it's more sort of psychological thriller, drama, horror, yeah. that sort of stuff. And, I mean, yeah, that's, they, that's they, quite they're, they're pretty much all their I, own I have universes. the same question yeah, with movies. I mean, they're constantly rebooting movies and remaking stuff. And not that I minded the reboot of the Star Trek. I thought that was fantastic. But come out with some new stuff. Yeah. yeah, but that's a different beast. Well, I think, it I is think, a different beast. So I think what's really needed more than anything else is... Because the DC Universe is actually a really fascinating place. I think what they need is new characters to populate that world. Well, you, mm. you're catering to people who've been reading these DC comics for years and years and years. And if, mm. if someone wants to start reading comics, they've got this huge backlog to go through. That's a well, very good point. Mm. But I think it segues really nicely into another point, though, because I think what the purpose of this uh, reboot is, is actually not about catering or even pandering to the existing fan base because exactly. that fan base is 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 dropping dramatically every year you know to the point now where the top books are selling you know maybe 60 to 70 thousand copies a month but would new, like, new readers yeah. even know about this reboot like, it's only been, well oh yeah because number is, number ones is the way is basically how they do it i mean mm-hmm. number ones yeah. get people in yeah but then and also, the last week of uh, solicitations only has one. Well, I, would, I, I wouldn't one. have known this was coming out unless you guys had told me. Well, the interesting yeah, but you part. Don't read comics. Exactly. So people who go, so people exactly. who go in every week. So if they, if they want to reach out to people who don't read comics, this is not the way to do it. Well, well actually, this, I think this it is. on the news. This is actually this was actually reported in the American 
newspapers. Yeah, it's actually all over the news at the moment. I mean, DC, DC CNN you got everybody. DC is not just DC. DC is actually also was it? It's Time Warner or whatever. Yeah. It is. So well, I think it's, it's a pretty yeah. big event. So it's actually. I, I think the thing, the thing that has the potential to really get the new readers in is that they're doing this reboot. They're starting with these new number ones. So they're saying to people, you know, to, to anybody that might be interested in reading, this is a fresh jumping on point for you. You can jump on here and and you don't need to worry about, you know, the 50 years of continuity that we've got beforehand. This is a good starting point for you. At the same time, they are coinciding this release with the release of their titles digitally for people to purchase the same day that they're released in the stores, right? which means that, you, you know, whereas traditionally, um, whereas traditionally the comic, uh, you know, comic readers had to go into comic shops to buy these, you can now get them on your iPad and things like that. Yeah, so a, big, a big push of this is they're going to be all released digitally as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah same, day, same day digital release. So the idea is Pretty to perhaps try and get the new readers in. By so they can read on their iPads with their apps. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Man, do I hate the word apps. So <laughs> applications. Learn to say it. It's only four syllables. Okay, just on that, on the, um, just on that sort of um, you know, same day release, uh, Brian Michael Bendis tweeted, commented certainly, that you know, by, doing, by doing that they were you know, beep, beeping the retailers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit harsh for the retailers. I mean, only one DC comic for that week is a bit extreme. Um, but there's been some positive feedback from the retailers themselves. So well, they're, actually, they're actually quite excited about it as well. Yeah. I mean, that's going to get people into the stores. Number ones, get people in. Well, hopefully yeah. it will. Because, because yeah, just the, the current business model is just not working. The comic industry is slowly right. dying. So they've, they've got to do something. Now, I don't know whether this will be what will bring the new readers in and, and get numbers up and, and save the industry. I, I certainly hope it is, because what we're doing now just isn't enough. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, it's, it's helpful for uh, new readers and number ones and the collectability and all that sort of stuff, but I don't see that why they couldn't have done something like the Marvel Universe, um, where they did the Ultimate Universe. I mean, why couldn't they have kept the continuity of the actual DC Universe intact for all of us readers that have been reading it all our lives? Hmm. And then, and just have an alternate, the ultimate universe, so call it whatever you want, DC Legends universe, I don't care. And then do it that way. Have a young Superman, have a different Batman, have all your, your people wear, all the girls wear pants if that's what you want. It really doesn't make any difference. I would have preferred it that way. Mm. Um, I think, see, one of the, the best reboots that has been done and has been going on since the 60s is Doctor Who, you know. Whenever, the, whenever an actor gets tired or a creative te- or a creative, there's a creative change behind um, the production, you know, a new Doctor is brought in, a new status quo is brought in, but there is no attempt to rewrite or wash away what has come before. And I think, to a certain extent, I think that's sort of what DC needs to do occasionally as well. Instead of doing a big sort of anti-monitor or whatever, whatever comes out of Flashpoint, um, you know, Zoom. big time wipe as mm. such, I think... D, what DC could do is just take that approach and say, okay, we just need a fresh course of, fresh change of course. But how would you do that? Though? I like that. I mean, it's, it's a nice it's, phrase, time warp. I should mm. use it. It's, I mean, it's easy for Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very good point that you bring up. I mean, Doctor Who, yeah, they bring in a new Doctor and they still reference the old Doctors. Mm. I mean, especially the new stuff, you know, mm. David Tennant's era and stuff like that. Sarah Jane, that was excellent. So, but how could you do that in the DC universe, though? So it's a different, it's a different sort of thing. It's a different medium. I mean, the Doctor, mm. was, See, doctor was created to do that. The Doctor has a, a reboot button mm. built See, into his character. The universe doesn't have that. Yeah. So my response to that would be, 
the DC Universe continuity has been completely shot to hell anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, really, nothing nothing in the DC Universe makes sense with anything that's happened in the past anymore, and, and their, their continuity is well, so Well, they're nowhere near as bad as Marvel, though. Well, Marvel's... Let's be honest, DC, you can still understand it. The, the problem with DCU is they've done so many of these soft reboots mm. that I, I no longer have any idea what is part of the continuity, what isn't part of the continuity. Well, the, the thing is that they, they, what happened they reboot to, their reboots. What happened to... And that's the problem. So mm. I think maybe even a massive reboot start from scratch, as long as they've got a clear plan on where they're going, I think that might actually be the best way to go, rather than this kind of soft reboot of, oh, some of this counts, and maybe some of it doesn't, and oh, this might work, but then maybe it so won't back, work. So sort of back to what Crystal was saying before, just start again from scratch completely, Well, as I if mean, it is the 60s. I think if you're going to go, go all out. Yeah. And if you're not going to do that, then at least let us know what counts and what doesn't. But see, what happens to just, you know, the age-old thing of once upon a time, just telling good stories and drawing readers in that way. Why, you know, not, Another the, good ho- point. not the whole, oh my God, this is a fresh start, this is a good jumping on point, we've got a new creative team, what have you. It's just, this is really good. Yeah, well, whatever happened to that? All the poor collectors are now think that all their stuff's you know, invalidated. But see, even, yeah, just keep on the collectors for a sec. I mean, I don't care <laughs> if my comics are going to be worth... A thousand, a hundred million, or two bucks. Yeah. Okay, good I point. want yeah. good stories. I want good stories and good artwork with very with good characterization. And I don't want the same story. I don't. I don't expect uh, all my stories to be gritty and dark. I don't expect them all to be light and bright and happy. I want variety. I want science fiction. I want superheroes. I want fantasy. I want westerns. I want crime. That sounds yeah, like but, a reasonable but, effort. Request, but that wasn't happening, though. The yeah. thing is... And that's the, pr- that's the problem. There is no variety. Yeah. They're, they're doing the exact same thing that they've been doing all the time. We're just launching at a whole bunch is, of our superheroes, but we're not creating variety in the universe. But I think the problem there is that you've got to do something to get these readers there in the first place. Yes, it is good stories and good characterization and good art and hopefully variety hmm. that will keep the readers there once they're in. But you've got to do something like the spectacle of launching 52 titles, mm. number number ones with same-day digital release, to get the readers there in the first place. And then hopefully it's the quality of the books that will keep them there. And it's, it's and really, it's not aimed at us. It's not aimed at the people that go into comic shops. It's not aimed at the people that have it's their... It's the fresh blood. Yeah, it's not aimed at the people that have their 40 years worth of collecting in front of them and know the histories of their characters back to front because we're not the target audience for what DC is trying to do here. Yes, they want to keep those readers, but those readers aren't keeping the industry going. The industry is not thriving at the moment. So DC has done these two steps in the hope that they will be able to get the new readers in. And that's how you've got to do it these days. You don't do word of mouth. You do viral marketing. You do... Mm. Um, you know, so we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to see how that goes. I mean, it's, uh, it's happening fairly soon. I mean, when do these number ones actually come out? It's it's August 31st yeah. is the first batch. Is the first batch. So, so. it's the uh, start of a whole new era for DC. Well, hopefully. So in, in this, uh, talking about the DC reboot, we talked about uh, other... Yeah, we briefly mentioned some other reboots and stuff like that, so let's uh, discuss those. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we, we previously mentioned uh, Crisis, Zero Hour, Final Crisis, that sort of stuff. Um, what about uh, retconning? I know it's a, a sort of similar sort of deal, reboot, uh, reboot and retconning. Um, what's, what, have been, what have been some actually good reboots or retcons in the past that you've liked or didn't like? I like Tolkien, you know, rewriting... Um the Gollum, the Gollum, the Gollum chapter from the Hobbit in That's a good one. Lord of the Rings. I thought yep. that did really well. 
um, you don't have to go back and read The Hobbit. Although then later editions and then actually change it to the a little, version, yeah, a little a bit of a shame. Um, but, but yeah, that's good. You know, he, he went The Hobbit, did he did it really well in The Hobbit. He mm. took what was the best chapter in it, expanded upon it, used it to tell an even better story. That doesn't actually sully the memory of The Hobbit itself. Yeah. I know, Richo, your, your favourite is uh, The Retcon Punch. <laughs> Retcon Punch. Uh, Retcon Punch was just silly. Well, okay. I, I, no, uh, Give us a bit well, of back, back, back history on the retcon punch. Okay, the retcon punch. Um, DC, when they did their Infinite Crisis um, story, decided that they wanted to do a little bit of retconning, just as some soft retcons here and there to change a few things. And their way to do that was to say that they had a, a, a Superboy Prime, who was like an alternate reality version of Superman, punching his way into reality. And each punch sent ripples through uh, the DC universe and changed stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> changed stuff. And my biggest problem with it is, I mean, really, the idea of him retcon punching uh, reality uh, it wasn't really my big problem. It was just the arbitrary nature of the retcons. It was like, <laughs> he just happened to retcon punch this. And it was a At simil- least it was still better than Hypertime. Well, it was a similar problem I had to the completely random returning of people from the dead that occurred in, um, at the end of Blackest Night. It's like, yes, let's bring Captain Boomerang back to life because people were clamouring for that one. Um, and this I love think, affair that Johns has with dead men. I just don't understand. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, comics, probably I think one of the best retcons I've ever seen was um, Frank Miller's work on Daredevil. Mm. You know, to, to introducing the whole, um, you know, Eastern ninja training Stick. Aspects, stick, um, the hand, mm. uh, the chaste, um, uh, bringing Electra into things. Um, he actually took a character that I had really no interest in whatsoever as a younger reader. Zero interest. Yeah, and made him one of the most interesting characters in the Marvel Universe. And he did it in a way that didn't disavow anything that had already happened. Like, every all of Daredevil's history was still there, it's just there was more added to it. Mm. So he didn't um, contradict anything, really. Mm. Um, at least not that I know of um, so yeah um, so obviously sometimes this can work really well and uh, mm. other times not so well so yeah. sometimes I think why are you meddling with it just leave it alone and go off and create something new George yeah. Lucas <laughs> <laughs> leave Star Wars um, alone I think the problem is is that these days it seems like Han fired first. Open up a can of worms. Richard, you know, your uh, extensive comic history, and look as well, mm. so the director's the According to uh, online, the first official retcon occurs in, in comic in, in history, so we're not talking The Hobbit, uh, or even, I mean, even Sherlock Holmes had some yes. retcons every now and again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and uh, to the detriment sometimes. Part, that was partly because Arthur Conan Doyle could actually remember what he'd written in his own yeah. stories, but <laughs> um, the, most famous, the most famous Sherlock Holmes one was Holmes dying in The Final Problem, hmm. being, got, being, being gone for ten years in The, the Adventure of the Empty Sherlock House. Sherlock Holmes is a comic Holmes, yes. um, Holmes tells Watson that he didn't actually fall off. The Reichenbach falls in that. Yes. <laughs> instead of instead of um, the the rock face being sheer as Watson described it, you know there were actually some foothills and things for yes. hopes yes, to climb as up. As we all know, Watson takes poetic license. Absolutely. And that's why and that's why he could kind of get away with it. And also, everyone, you know, we got Holmes back, yeah. and that was the thing. That's it was a, it was a way to explain Holmes coming back. So the first official comic retcon is apparently All Star Squadron eighteen from nineteen eighty three. 
Yeah, I've got to tell you, that surprised me. No, it's not. It can't be right. Um, well, I mean, the most famous uh, retcon that I can think of well before that was Captain America. Avengers number four. That's right. You know, Bucky, Bucky getting destroyed by the the plane, um, Captain America falling into the block of ice. That that wasn't part mm. of you know in the original comic stories. Captain America went well into the late forties mm. and then reappeared very briefly for a few issues in the fifties where he was fighting commies. Mm. Um, Gotta yeah. commies. So that that's probably one of the most famous retcons that's actually really worked. And just to extend from that as well, you know. With Captain America and Avengers one long before All Star Squadron, you know they revealed that some of the Captain America Avengers in the forties were not Steve Rogers anyway. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was someone else. So yeah, that re- the Patriot mm. and the Spirit of seventy six. Mm. Um, so yeah, so also, uh, look at um, just going to show you can't trust everything you read on the interwebs, <laughs> unless of course it's www.nerdculturepodcast.com. What they may, might be referring to is that I believe Roy Thomas, writer of yeah. All Star Squadron, Roy Thomas was the one that um, actually first coined the term retcon. No, no, actually he, he termed right? retroactive uh, continuity. And then there was uh, another person whose name escapes me on a message board actually shortened it shortened to, it to retcon. retcon. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked a little bit about you know one or two good and interesting retcons. Um, then of course there's uh, the recent situation with Spider-Man and uh, you know the one more day, brand new day situation. And uh, what do you think of that uh, day? Being our resident Spidey fan, it, it wasn't even before one more day. You had the the disaster that was. Norman fathering children with Gwen. Uh, sins of the uh, past. Sins of the past. Yes. Oh my god! Seriously, uh, that was the point where I was just like, nah. I mean, I even, I went through Clone, the Clone Saga. I still I just couldn't get through Sins of the Past. And of course, yeah, they one more day. Now, one more day is an interesting beast. I mean, I mean, it could it could have been done in a myriad of various ways. I mean, it's, you know, the classic Spider-Man way. I mean, they just they eventually get a divorce. If you wanted to divorce them, give them a divorce. It's not that unheard of. Um, but the sad thing about One More Day is, is, as terrible as that is, the stories after One More Day were actually quite good. <laughs> so, so um, actually, they're not now, but at, at points they were. So Shed um, is an excellent story that you wouldn't have had if One More Day hadn't occurred. So and then the question is, does the, um, does the retcon, no matter how bad it might be, justify, is it justified if the stories that, come after it are actually... No, because that's still something that happened in that their continuity that sucks. I mean, Ah, but it doesn't now, because <laughs> he's effectively retconned out that very story by retconning everything that comes before that story. <laughs> and this is where it that's gets true. very That's true, so since the past now never happened, and thank God, if I could erase it from my own memory, that'd be awesome. I, I want a retcon punch from my own memory. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but yeah, the stories afterwards are actually quite good, so it's just, I mean, coming back full circle, back to the DC reboot stuff, I mean, yeah, it's you know, 52 number ones, you don't have to buy them all. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to buy Mr. Terrific's number one as much as how as cool as he is. Um, I will. But, yeah, I'll just read yours. So, <laughs> but uh, as, long as, as long as they keep it up, I mean, the Spider-Man writers took advantage and they went with it and they did good things. So as long as the DC Universe does the same thing, I'll be a happy man. Just don't get me started on the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> and that was War Room. All right, so moving on to... Coming soon. Okay, so as uh, the tradition of coming soon, I'm going to mention the films that are coming up in the next month and a bit, uh, up until our next podcast recording. Okay, so coming up for June 8, we have Super 8, appropriately enough. Uh, the new film from J.J. Abrams, and is basically just E.T. for the next generation. Richard, 
Nah, I'm not sold yet. Crystal? I can't remember what it's about. I think I'm thinking of the wrong trailer. You know what it was? It was that one where the train crashed. It kind of looks like E.T., but shot Cloverfield style. It's got a little kid gang in it. Yeah, I don't know. Meh. Look, it has an alien. <laughs> Which is good or bad. Enough said. It has an alien. <laughs> okay, June 23, we have a double hitter, which uh, I'm sure will be two films that none of us care about. So, Cars 2 and Kung Fu Panda 2. Richard? Yeah, not really interested. Cars 1 was terrible. Uh, I didn't mind Kung Fu Panda 1, so... Yeah, I, I don't think really season. either needs a, a sequel, though. Yeah, neither, none of them sees, need sequels, and especially not cinema releases. <laughs> It'll be DVD. Crystal? I never saw the first one of either of them. I'm not a big animated fan. Fair enough. I'm a big animated fan, but no, I've not seen either one of the um, the originals, so I don't care. Fair enough. And uh, June 30, we have <laughs> the sequel that just did not have to happen, and please God, no more. Transformers 3, Dark Side of the Moon. I would rather gnaw off my own foot than be subjected to another Michael Bay Transformers movie. <laughs> Fair enough, Crystal. I, I wish I hadn't even seen the trailer. Oh! <laughs> Please scrub it from my mind. It'd be cool if they used the Pink Floyd album in the film, but let's be honest here. If you've, seen, if you've seen the first one, you've seen it all. That's it. I mean, the first one is barely passable, but the, other, the, second, two, the, the second one, oh, my God. Much nicer to it than I would be. Oh, it's, you know, at, least you, at least you can sit through the whole, whole first one, but after 15 minutes of the first one, you're like, I just never want to see another Transformers film ever in my life. And the trailer, that accepts the trailer. I don't want to see the Transformers trailer. Oh, yeah, the, had to. yeah Crystal's totally right. The trailer is just an absolute piece of crap. Mm. Yeah. Um, anyway, although that being said, the X-Men First Class trailer wasn't all that exciting either, and that was cool. So, what can you do? Uh, you thought plus, it was cool. It was cool. <laughs> you, you gave it four, and the rest of us were giving it around about the two, two. two and a half mark. Come on, you're all harsh. Last but not least, we've got July 13, uh, the final Harry Potter film, Deathly Hallows Part 2. Never seen a Harry Potter film, never read a Harry Potter book. I think that speaks for itself. Come on. Really? Yep. You haven't, even, you haven't read a single one? I've read Books of Magic. That was good enough. Ooh, controversy. I read half of the first book and then put it aside because I had other stuff I wanted to read more and just never went back to it. It's not that it's, it's uninteresting or bad, but it's just it's nothing new to me. And I've seen first movie and the third movie I'll watch the other ones if it's on but I'm not going to make an effort to go out and see it I respect Harry Potter just for what it did is actually got kids reading again I mean yeah. unfortunately now they're reading Twilight but back then <laughs> they were reading Harry Potter and which was actually good well thought yeah, out yeah it's, it's well, well written, written stuff, and, but it, know, it may be a complete rip off like Richard said of the books of magic and Tim Hunter yeah. but it wasn't anything I hadn't read before so it yeah. wasn't going to keep me interested but then I'm a grown up that's right so yeah but yeah, the film itself yeah I'm DVD for me Luke? Thank God it's finishing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was coming soon. Next up, we have feedback. Okay, so feedback. This is a, obviously we didn't have a feedback segment in our first episode, but the response to our first episode and the zero episode were actually very promising and I just want to say thank you to everybody who took the time to rate and review us on iTunes um, we're currently up to I believe it's 11 and we are actually on the on the news uh, new and noteworthy page on the iTunes 
website. So I cannot tell you how exciting that is for me and the crew. Um, I've even taken a screenshot. Yay! Um, it's, Thanks, everybody. So, yeah, so we had uh, quite a few responses. I'm actually going to put them, uh, with those people's permissions, going to put them onto the website itself. Uh, but I just want to take the time to uh, read at least, you know, one or two of them out every podcast. So for the first one, we have one from Mysteries. Very interesting spelling of that name. Hello, Token Girl. So it was actually addressed to our lovely Crystal. So that's pretty exciting stuff. Hi, Mysteries. Hello, Token Girl. Sounds like a superhero name. Token Girl, she fixes all awkward demographic and politically correct problems. Either that or it's the name of one of those Gold Coast bimbos that feed the parking meters. Your choice. Let's go. I'll go with the superhero. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with the superhero one in, in the theme of the podcast itself, if that's okay. But you are beautiful enough to be one of those bimbos. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. That's a backhanded compliment if I've ever heard one. I just go with superhero. Yeah. Podcast is good. I really like Dust Jacket. It's interesting to hear about these books that you wouldn't normally pick up. So there you go, Richard. Oh, thank you very much for that, Mysteries. Um, that's really what Dust Jacket's all about. It's hoping, hopefully spotlighting books that people might not have otherwise read. Um, so she then she goes on to describe uh, The Dispossessed, which is one of the ones that we had. Um, she also mentions that she's a fan of alternate chapters. Uh, she read a book recently called Liar by Justine Labalisti which was one chapter now, one chapter before, and another chapter before that. Um, which sounds pretty interesting. I haven't read it myself. Anybody read that? Nope. Sounds uh, familiar, but I have not read the book. Yeah. No, but thank you for the recommendation. I yeah, we'll, we'll definitely check it out. out. Um, she also mentions Foundation. She read that decades ago. Surely you're not that old. Uh, great <laughs> books. Um, she, her father has a set of it somewhere, she believes, so that she's going to she's gonna read them. Oh, um, right now I have The Last Earth's Children book. And I have to get stuck into that before I have to hand it in to the next person. So there you go. Another one I haven't read, actually, Earth's Children. Luke, you've probably read that. You've read everything. No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> Move That's on. It. I haven't read it. Could be interesting. Well, this is great. We're now getting a, a list of books that we've got Good to track stuff. down. Uh, big stuff. improvement on the, on the sound uh, for the from the second podcast. So thank you very much, Mysteries. Um, you're right. This first one was terrible. Uh, she also says that I uh, certainly don't keep up with the big superheroes, Batman, Superman, etc. Uh, so I say, who cares if Superman hates the US? So, you're right. Who cares? Although he didn't actually say he hates the US. So. I'll answer that. The Americans. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently, apparently uh, Fox News and CNN more than anything else. It would be interesting to see the contrast between the conservative Clark Kent and trying to justify the radical Superman. One goes as far as to say Superman is radical, but uh, still, it's an interesting take. Unless, interesting unless you're talking, um, unless you're talking um, 80s surfer parlance, <laughs> that's rad, man. <laughs> but, but I take her point there. I mean, to, yeah. to, it's a fact. What we said in the previous one was that ultimately there is a little bit of a dif- disparity between Clark Kent and Superman. She's saying that um, it'd actually be good to expand upon that. No, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, if I had to follow a superhero, it wouldn't be white red Superman. Boring. Uh, Poor Superman. <laughs> and apparently, someone she knows named Craig is a big Batman fan. Hi, Craig. Hi, Hi Craig. Craig. I like you already. <laughs> uh, and she's going to share the podcast with other people. So well, there you go. Thank you very um, much. Just uh, let Craig and anybody else you know <laughs> know about us, and uh, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, it'd be awesome. Um, she even mentions our uh, villains piece. All-time bad guys. I don't think I can put them in order. I know the Joker made it onto my list before he was mentioned. Only natural, and I agree all forms of the Joker were great in relation to the Batmans they were facing. Camp Joker for Camp Batman. Slick Joker for Slick Batman. Seriously Creepy Joker for Creepy Batman. 
I like the comment that when the Joker is in the scene, he dominates and Batman becomes a bit player. As it should be. Batman is a reactionary. He has to step back for the one who actually acts first. Yep. That's I agree with that. Fantastic insight. That right was there. excellent. And I like the fact that you're actually doing your top five villains while we were doing our top five villains and yeah. mentioning the Joker and stuff. That was awesome. Um, I had Ozymandias from Watchmen for many reasons. When you find out he's behind a huge plan to kill hundreds of thousands in the hope of bringing peace to billions, it's a bit of an oh-my-god moment. And unlike most bad guys, he succeeds. He actually wins. Anna was arguing with me that he's not a bad guy because he does it to bring peace, but so does Davros, and so did Hitler. Wow. Yep. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, well, good point. Davros was a good pick. We had the Daleks as a collective bad guy, but Davros is the start of the poison. Very true. Mm. And say a big thanks to... uh, Anna as well. Anna, Hi, Anna. Anna Craig and Mysteries. Uh, well, who else do I have? Sauron. He's an ultimate undying evil, all-powerful, controlling his underlings with deception, the rings. That's what makes his downfall that much sweeter at the hands of the helpless. Wow. We should get you on the podcast one day, Mysteries. Yep. You've got some good points. Get started. Plus, Sauron is a giant lighthouse as well. Let's not forget that. <laughs> well, he, does, he does take physical form that. at one Sauron point. Sauron was on my original list at one point. I couldn't think of five. Not five I'd consider for all time. I didn't even think Darth, but he is well presented as the ultimate evil dude in that opening scene of New Hope, and I have to give a nod to him. Maybe it's the bad portrayals later that are confusing for me. That's fair call. I also love Q, but he's more annoying or powerful pixie than bad guy. He claims to be actually improving their lives. I wonder if he actually believes that. Still, he deserves to be there. No, because he succeeds, Ozymandias is it for me. Imagine the world he creates. Yeah, peace, but at what cost? And a peace enforced by fear is no peace at all. What an awful, immoral creation he is, and I love it. Very philosophical. There you go. Nicely done. Well done, and uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to send that in, uh, Mysteries. Very much appreciated. uh, Like I said, it has has some other excellent feedback, which I will uh, post on the website, so check it out. So this this was excellent, and any uh, anybody else, please send it in. We love this sort of stuff. Um, we want to hear from you guys. I mean, a, a major part of Dust Jacket is to hear your opinions on the books and get our ratings happening. Richard actually had a comment on the, what was it, nonstop? On um, nonstop, yes. Yeah. So please, we really want to hear from you. Well, that's it for this uh, episode of Nerd Culture Podcast. Now, episode three, Popcorn Junkie, will be a retro classic edition. We're actually going to do a special on Blade Runner in all its forms. So, Popcorn Junkie, Blade Runner, uh, the dash jacket will be Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Richard? Yep, that's right. And uh, War Room will then be discussing just the legacy that is Blade Runner, the movie, and other facets. So if you're not a Blade Runner fan... <laughs> so if you're not a Blade Runner, Blade Runner fan, episode 3 is not for you, but hopefully you no, are. No, it's for you. You can come <laughs> in and argue with us. Well, that's true. Exactly. Yes. Let us make you a Blade Runner fan. <laughs> Very true. Awesome. And check out our website, www.nerdculturepodcast.com for uh, semi-regular updates. <laughs> no, daily updates. Um, and uh, also dust jacket reviews that you don't actually have on the podcast, so... Um, the latest one was in fact The City in the Stars That's very right. excellent review by Richard and Luke so please check it out and comment thanks to Richard thank you Crystal thank you Giggle Mania that is Crystal goodbye Australia <laughs> and Luke Flashpoint <laughs> bye everybody
Giggle fest. She's gonna happen every episode. She's gone crazy. She's gone mad. Eventually, we're gonna be able to put it together just like a montage <laughs> <laughs> of Crystal's giggle, giggle fest. Giggle she has every.
together as one. There are people dying. You heard that? It's time. Yeah, you showed me last night. 